as we push God and the Lord out of our conversation, we are seeing people become more and more fearful in life. And that makes sense because without his love, without his strength, without his support, this is a tough place to be, this fallen world that we're in. Now, uh, I don't know if you're aware of it. I just discovered this this week. I never put the two together. You could say that our denomination was based on this passage that we read this morning. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because our denomination really got its beginning with a guy being just overwhelmed with fear. John Wesley was a very religious guy, and he wound up going to the colonies from England to be a missionary to the Indians. And I'll just cut this real short and say it didn't work out too well. And he wound up on the boat back to England uh, with warrants out for his arrest. And he was despondent over the things, the way things had gone. But then a horrible storm came up while they were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in this little boat. And he found himself cringing. This Anglican priest found himself cringing in fear, afraid to die in the hold of the ship. As he was in his little room, he was scared to death he was going to die. And what really got him was there were Armenians on that ship with him who were at peace in the middle of the storm. As he was there just praying not to die, they were singing hymns and were at peace. And it helped John Wesley to see there was something missing from his life that he didn't really have faith. He had done all the religious things, but he didn't have that spark of faith that these people had. He knew he was somehow missing what the Christian life was really all about, and he wanted it terribly. And so he handled his fear in the right way. He faced it, and then he found out what to do about it. He got with other people that shared the sort of faith that he saw those Armenians having. And he uh, began to uh, ask them and said, just tell me, what do I need to do? He said, John, just hang in there. You just keep seeking the Lord. You just keep seeking him and it'll happen. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will ever surely find me. You just hang in there and keep praying and keep giving yourself to him and he will give himself to you. And then, as we all know, uh, he wound up sitting in a uh, chapel while someone was reading the preface to the epistle to uh, Roma, the Romans. And he said that all of a sudden he felt his heart strangely warmed that Christ died for him and for his sins. And he realized that he was 
fully forgiven and God's love just poured into his heart. He was never the same. After that, his preaching changed. All of a sudden there was life in it. And you know what? People responded to his preaching and they came to him desiring to flee the wrath to come. They all of a sudden realized, yes, Jesus is coming soon. And they weren't ready to meet him. And so fear drove them to John Wesley to see what must we do to flee the wrath to come. And so he started uh, little study groups, little prayer groups, and started teaching. And those grew. And those grew into what we now call the United Methodist Church. So it all began with somebody being afraid, but then handling their fear in the right way. John Wesley, toward the end of his life, shared the one fear that he had left. He says, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. But I am afraid, lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both to the doctrine, spirit, and discipline which, with which they first set out. And so we are continually called back to our beginnings so that we don't lose that spark and that fervor that can be lost in just a religious setting. And so uh, with that realizing that fear can be handled in a right way and a wrong way, I want us to look at these words again. Perfect love casts out all fear. And whenever John's talking about perfect love, he's talking about mature love. He's talking about mature Christian love. He's talking about not just God's love being shed abroad in our hearts, but our love of him and our relationship with him and us moving on. You know, John Wesley, he came up with the whole idea of moving on to perfection, being perfected in our love of God. As we are perfected, as we mature in our love of God, we wind up being perfected in our love for the people around us. And uh, he goes on and he says, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar because you can't really be in a right relationship with God and be in a hate relationship with the people around you. Just like because of what we shared with the kids earlier. He loves even the unlovable and the unlovely. And the closer we get to him, the more we're going to love the unlovable and the unlovely as well. So it began in fear. And as you draw near to God in fear and you yield yourself to him, that fear goes away. Fear can't stay in the presence of Jesus. And so I want us to look at what fear is, what fear does, 
and what to do about it if you find yourself being fearful today. That's it in a nutshell. First of all, fear, as we talked about last week, is a gift from God, really. It's a negative emotion that God programmed into us to let us know that there was danger afoot. Negative emotions like anger and negative feelings like pain, they are given to us just like red lights on a dashboard on your car or your truck. When that red light comes on, it lets you know something's wrong. And when you know something's wrong, you don't ignore it, do you? You do something about it. You pull over, you stop, and you figure out what the problem is. And so it's the same way with our negative emotions. Anger and fear can both be great self-analytical tools to help you grow in your faith and grow in the Lord and to mature in the Lord if you handle it rightly. If you handle it wrongly, they will destroy you, body and soul. And so it's so important that we handle them in the right way. In fact, there are two words for fear in the Bible I discovered. One word is only used in three different places in the Bible and two different settings. Uh, one of the words is, uh, the, the word that's only used three times is delos. D, if you're going to spell it in English, it'd be D-E-I-L-O-S. And that is the word that's used whenever the, we looked last week at the disciples in the boat and how they were uh, so afraid. And he said, why are you so afraid? And he uses that word delos. It's used in, uh, uh, I think it's Luke and Matthew that we find that same word. He, used that, he uses that word. In both the depictions, that's the, the same Greek word, delos. And that word means cowardly and unfaithful, ungodly in your fear. And so it's one of the strongest, most horrible words that you can use if you're telling somebody that they're fearful. And Jesus used it with his disciples when he said, why are you so afraid? He said, why are you so cowardly? Where is your faith? The other word that you find used well, hundreds of times in the Bible is the word phobos, which is the word we get our word. Uh, we talk about phobias, same root word. Whenever you get frightened, whenever you get scared of something and, uh, oh, you know, you're scared of something like that, that's phobos. And so whenever Jesus uh, comes walking out across the water and he says, don't be afraid, he's using the word phobos there. Whenever he just pops in on them uh, after he's been uh, buried in the tomb and all of a sudden he's alive again and he just shows up in their locked room with them and it scares the bejabbers out of them, he uses the word phobos there. Don't be afraid. And see, there's a, a difference. The word delos, that's the word that comes about when you give into your fears and you let your fears control you. It's not a sin to get frightened or startled, but whenever you can give yourself over to your sin, um, to, your, to your fear, 
And when you let your fear rule your life, then you move from phobos into delos. And that's the word, the only other place that word is used in Revelation, the 21st chapter, when it lists those people that are not going to make it into heaven. And the first one in the list are the delos people. The cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you've given in and surrendered to your fears and haven't continued to grow in the Lord, you see, things can happen that will destroy your soul. And so uh, this is so important that you understand this because you see there are other emotions that are listed of the works of the flesh. This one is not included in that list because it goes deeper. It's more spiritual even than those things are. And so I share this with you because it is crucial that you understand these things if you're going to have the life of freedom in Christ that he really wants you to have. So whenever you give in to your fear, here's what fear does. Fear paralyzes. Do you remember not long ago we talked about the, uh, uh, the stewards that the were given talents and one of them was given 10, one of them given five, one of them given one. The first two, they took theirs and they, they worked with it. They took their master's money and that's what they were supposed to do. They knew that he would entrusted them with his wealth for them to work with it and help it to grow. And so whenever the time of reckoning came, they said, okay, Lord, here's what we have. And he says at the beginning, the kingdom of God is like this. He says that this guy goes on a journey. He leaves his goods with these people. And then he comes back and he wants an accounting. First two, here's what you left with us. And here's so much more. And he said, blessed are you. And he rewards them, doesn't he? And then there's the talent, the one talent guy. He wasn't given much to work with, but he said, I knew what you were like. And I, I, I knew that you were a harsh taskmaster and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, he goes on and says, well, I buried your talent because I was afraid and I didn't do anything with it. But here, here it is. And he says, you wicked servant. Basically saying, you knew what I wanted you to do, and you did not do it, you wicked servant. And he says, take the talent that he has and give it to the one that has the most and throw this guy into outer darkness. And he said, that's the way the kingdom of God is. We've been entrusted with different things. We've been entrusted with a life. And he wants us to use our life in a certain way. And if we don't use it, we're going to be accountable for either our obedience or our disobedience uh, in some shape, form, or fashion. So anyway, fear paralyzes. It kept this servant from doing what he knew he should do. It caused the servant to disobey his master. Okay, uh, at the Red Sea, the uh, children of Israel were there. The angry Egyptians were coming at them. The Red Sea was there. And the Lord had said, don't be afraid. I'm going to get you through this. Just take out. And they just stood there. Oh, 
why'd you bring us here to die? And they just could just whine. Finally, you know what he says is basically, quit whining and march. And so they start marching and the sea parts. Didn't happen before. But see, they were paralyzed with fear. And he had to just really get on to them and make them move. Okay, so fear paralyzes. It robs you from blessings. Later on, the children of Israel are going to wind up at the Jordan River, getting ready to go into the promised land. They send 12 spies over there. Uh, 12 come back and 10 of them say, oh, it's a land filled with giants. Oh, man, it's got all this neat stuff in there. But the guys were like grasshoppers in their sight. And they were scared to death. And their fear was contagious. And the fear of those 10 spies infected the entire camp, except for Joshua and Caleb and Moses. And so they had to spend 40 years wandering around in the desert till that entire fearful generation disappeared. They were robbed of their blessing by fear because they wouldn't do what they knew that God wanted them to do. And he'd said he's going to with, be with them when they did it. They wouldn't do it. And they missed the promised land. Fear robs you of blessings. It can rob you of blessings in life. It can rob you of life. It can ensnare you and hold you. It separates you from God because it pulls you into disobedience and keeps you from using your life the way that he wants you to use it. As we said, it is contagious. Uh, there's a place where uh, the Lord recognizes this whenever he's given instructions to the children of Israel after they've already settled in the promised land. He said, whenever you're getting ready to go out to a battle that I'm sending you to fight, I want the commanders to line everybody up and say, if any of y'all are afraid to fight, go home because we don't want you messing up the rest of our army because fear is contagious. And he didn't want people that were going to be afraid to walk in the name of the Lord into battle, going out there and causing problems. So fear is contagious. Fear is not just your problem. You know, there are a lot of people that they seem to be proud of their fears and they like the attention that their fear gives them because people have to make special arrangements to handle people that are fearful. I know a young man in his 20s, he's afraid to drive a car. And because of that, He's living at home with his mom and dad, and they're having to chauffeur him around like he was in elementary school. These, you see how they're having to uh, accommodate his fear. Well, and see, and many times, fears and phobias of one person affect everybody around them. Everybody has to adjust. And some people think that's great because it makes them feel special and important. Because people love them and will do that for them. But it's wrong. If you're the Lord's, you're not going to want to be an imposition on other people if you don't have to be. And so the thing is, you need to be sure that you are handling your fear 
in the right way. It's not just your problem. It affects the people around you. Fear is at the heart of some of the most sinful things in your life. You know, uh, arrogance, it comes from a fear of vulnerability. This is one of those things that I, I probably am still trying to grow out of. But at one time, it was one of my great weaknesses was arrogance. And the thing is, arrogance is one of those things that you put on a good front and you get a right attitude to keep from getting hurt. You put up walls to keep from getting hurt. And so arrogance winds up uh, leading into all different sorts of sins and separating you from other people because you're afraid that if you risk sharing yourself with somebody else, you might get hurt. But you know what? I told the Lord about this. I said, you know, if I, if I love like you want me to love, then uh, I might get hurt. And he said, yeah, I know. One out of 12 isn't bad. And he reminded me that he shared himself deeply with 12 guys. Only one of them betrayed him. Only one of them really hurt him deeply. And I realized I was missing out on so many wonderful relationships and so many wonderful times with other people because I didn't want to risk being hurt. And so I started risking and I've discovered that that's about the right ratio, about one out of 12, you know. You're gonna get whacked every now and you stick your neck out there, somebody's gonna karate chop it every long once in a while. But it's worth it for all the friends and all the family in Christ that you'll wind up with because of it. Impatience is a fear that time's going to run out. That's what, it, that's what impatience comes from, this is that there's not going to be enough time. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, and you are the Lord's eternity has been set in your heart, and you know when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun. You see, even though your time here may be short, your time goes on into eternity and keeps on going. 10,000 years from now, you're not going to have gotten started yet. Do you see that? There's plenty of time. No matter how little time you may feel you have left on this earth, you still have plenty of time left on down the road. But yet a fear, impatience comes out of a fear that there's just not going to be enough time. Okay. Greed comes from the fear that there's not enough to go around. Jealousy comes from that same fear. People are jealous of other people's attention and affection because they think there's not going to be enough for them. And so fear, you see, is behind a lot of the sinfulness and the ugliness in our lives. And we need to handle it rightly. And so that's what fear is. And that's what fear does. It robs, it kills, it destroys, and Satan will use it. He will use it to just totally hamstring you in this life. So what do you do about it? What do you do about it? First of all, 
You know, I shared a verse with you a while back. The first part of it is what we need to really concentrate on. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. Put him above everything else in your life. To sanctify him means you set him apart and you set him above and you reverence him more than anything and anyone else in your life. And as you put him first, as you sanctify him and you look to him, things will fall into place. In fact, let's say that together. I'm going to say it again, then I want you to say it with me. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Let's say it together. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Whenever you sanctify him, it means that in your heart, it means that you surrender to him being sovereign over all of your life. He is sovereign. He is sovereign whether you admit it or not. That's why I use the word surrender. He is sovereign and you need to allow him to be sovereign over all of your life. Sovereign over your birth. Some of you may even wonder uh, why you got to be where you are. You might gripe about who your parents were or who your parents were not. God brought you into this world at the time that he did, where he did, and to the parents he did. Because he loved you and he wanted you right where you are right now because he had plans and purposes for you in this world right now. Not 20 years ago, not sometime in the future. You were brought into this world to be here right now at this point. He is sovereign over your birth. Now then, he is sovereign over your life. You need to allow him. You need to let go and let God. Let go and let him be the one who is in control of your life. So many people never get around to doing that. How can you say he's Lord if you're trying to tell him what to do? How can you say he is Lord if instead of obeying him, you're trying to control him? Whatever is happening in your life, Whatever is going on, what has gone on in your past, what future you're looking at in this life, allow him to be sovereign. Allow him to be in control, knowing that he's a good God that loves you and wants to help you in what you're facing right now. Remember, in his word it says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. If you love him, you're going to allow him to be sovereign. And you're going to trust that all things are going to work together for the good of you because you love him. Okay? Let him be sovereign when it comes to your death. And when you're going to die, quit worrying about it. You're going to be here. I think it was uh, uh, Whitfield, George Whitfield, that said, you're immortal until your work on earth is done. <laughs> you're not going to die before you've done what the Lord has for you to do. 
Now, that doesn't mean you hop in the car and drive 90 miles an hour the wrong way down the freeway. That's called tempting God. And uh, the devil tried to use that with Jesus. That doesn't work like that. But the thing is, is that you entrust your death to him. Don't fear dying because you know there's better on the other side. And once the fear of death is behind you, you can finally really start living. That was another thing I had to deal with was I had to embrace my mortality and my immortality. Even though my time may be limited here, it's going to go on forever. So uh, you've got to get all that straight and sanctify the Lord. That's the first thing you have to do. Understand his way is the best way. It's better than any. And then uh, you trust God. Quit looking back. You know, people spend, I have somebody I love dearly. They spend themselves self-analyzing forever. And looking back isn't going to help you in the present and in the future. It may help you to come to grips with how you got to be where you are. And whenever you get to that point, you're probably going to have to forgive somebody. And that's the only thing that looking back is good for, to find out who you need to forgive and what you need to confess and be forgiven for. But once you do those things, that's all to get you freed from the past so you can live in the present and look forward to the future. That's what the Lord came to do. So quit looking backwards and start sanctifying the Lord in your heart right now. What does he have for you in the next moment? In fact, I hope that these words, sanctify the Lord in your heart, will just haunt you all the rest of this week. I hope that whenever somebody gets on your nerves, you'll hear, sanctify the Lord in your heart. And it's going to help you handle them in a different way. I hope that uh, whenever things are going wrong, that you'll just hear, sanctify the Lord in your heart. And it's going to help you to understand how you really need to be handling things. So I just pray that that just haunts you all this next week and the rest of your life. Because as you sanctify him in your heart, you're going to find peace in his presence. Okay, next, face your fear. Face it. Uh, examine it. That's what John Wesley did. He realized he used fear properly. I'm scared. What does this tell me? It tells me something's wrong in my life. Something's wrong in my faith. And so whenever you face it and you ask that same question that Jesus asked his disciples, whenever he said, why are you so afraid? When you ask that question, then things begin to happen then you can wind up uh, understanding and finding many times your growing edge with the Lord because that's where it will be. As you face and examine your fears, you will find that some are baseless. That's just because you're being immature and not wanting to grow up. You'll find that some uh, show areas where you need to grow. I, I did this. I used to not like to fly. I love going places, but I didn't like getting in an airplane. I would always get anxious just before I went in the airplane. And so I, I asked the Lord about this. Lord, I'm not afraid to die. Why well, I'm afraid to get in an airplane. And the Lord just flat said, you're a control freak, Joel. You know, I mean, <laughs> pure and simple. And it dawned on me, you know, if I was flying the plane, I'd really love flying. 
but I just didn't trust somebody else to fly it for me. I had to be in control. And I discovered I was the same way in a car. I thought I always had to drive. You know, the thing is, now I can let Sharon drive. I don't have to drive the car anymore. I can entrust myself to other people. I was a control freak. Still working on it. I'm a recovering control freak. Okay. But that was my growing edge, you see. And then the last thing quickly, do it anyway. If you're afraid of it, do it anyway. This young man that's afraid to drive, he shouldn't get out on the Gulf Freeway, you know. He shouldn't just hop in a car and go to the Gulf Freeway. No. He needs to start out somewhere safe and start driving. If you're afraid of public speaking, you need to start speaking somewhere. And you know, church helps people in that way. And so many, so many of us, it helped us to get to where we could stand in front of other people because we started doing it when we were kids. And so, uh, but so you go ahead and you start doing it anyway. And uh, it's like, it's called, in psychological terms, it's called habituation. But uh, the thing is, after you do something, you get familiar with it and it's not scary anymore. But you have to start doing it. You have to take the first step. Uh, now then, after going through all this, let me tell you this, is that uh, I've run across people that are afraid to even have children today because they're so fearful because the way that the world is today. And you know what? One of my favorite songs has a verse right in the middle of it that I often wondered, why in the world did they even put that in there? And now I know. Bill and Gloria Gaither have written many wonderful Christian hymns. And one that Gloria wrote came while she was expecting a child. And Bill and Gloria were going through some terrible problems at that time. Bill had been terribly sick and their music had been attacked for not being spiritual. And on New Year's Eve, Gloria sat in a darkened room experiencing a time of torment and fear. She says, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world and all of our problems and about our baby yet unborn. Who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this? She was at the height of her fear. And then something happened. She says, I can't quite explain what happened in that next moment, but suddenly I felt released from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence and a soft voice kept saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. She then began to confess her faith in Jesus Christ. You see, she began to sanctify him, the risen Christ, in her heart. She began to confess her faith in Jesus and knew that she could indeed have a baby and face the future with optimism and trust. For she had been reminded that it was all worth it just because he lives. And from that experience, she began to write these words, the words I wondered, 
Why did they even put those in there? How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all what? All fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.